Glad you guys are here. Welcome to everybody that's watching online and everyone that's in the room. It's a special day, a day um, where people are getting baptized. We actually had just an incredible service uh, at nine where people were baptized and we had a family get baptized together, um, all deciding to follow Christ. And it was very, very impactful, emotional, um, as the, the mother of the two children that were getting baptized has, uh, was diagnosed with cancer and recently uh, it's been found all throughout her body. And so the whole family got baptized. They all have decided to follow Christ and she wanted to have that moment with them. Uh, you can imagine just how much gravity was in the room as we all kind of prayed for her and prayed for that family. And so today we, uh, we actually were gonna have four and then at the end of last service another person uh, decided I wanna get baptized too. Raise your hand if you've been baptized. So baptism is one of those things that, you know, sometimes uh, some traditions people do it like when you're really young and you kind of get baptized. Um, and uh, in our tradition, our faith tradition, we do it more uh, as an individual decision at a time when someone kind of says, hey, you know, I'm gonna choose uh, to make Christ my Lord and Savior and I'm gonna follow him. And one of the things that we always say with baptism is that it's an outward sign of an inward decision or an inward truth or an inward reality. And when we say that, what we're saying is that somebody has looked at the person of Christ and heard his teachings and uh, observed his life, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and they've made the decision to ask what he did and ask for what he did to save them from the result of sin in their life where we say, hey, you know, we realize at some point that we have this fallen nature and that it's called sin, that it ultimately leads to death and that death is separation from God and, and it's separation from our bodies and we say, Jesus, I want you to, you know, forgive me. And typically where that goes is that means that when I physically die, then immediately I'm in the good place and not the bad place. That's typically what people kind of think about when they think about baptism. And uh, I've been kind of just beating a drum over and over again that that is one side of what baptism me means, but often when we focus on that one side, we miss the whole other side, which is just as important as what I just talked about. And that is that baptism is not just an outward sign of an inward change, but it's an outward sign of a future outward changed life. It's an outward sign of what you're gonna do outwardly. It means now I'm following Christ. And another way to put it is that it's not, you know, baptism isn't just kind of the end. You know, you wander through life and then you, ah, you get saved, you accept Jesus. And baptism represents definitely something that Jesus did where he paid for your sin. But that just means that all the work is done and I'm going to go to heaven when I die, and that kind of makes baptism the end of wandering. But the reality is, is that baptism is not the end of something. Baptism is the beginning of life for you and me. It's the beginning. It's the starting point. So one way to think about baptism is baptism is the beginning. Say baptism is the beginning. Baptism is the beginning. It's the beginning of something new. When you think about where baptism comes from, it really represents transition in your life. 
And for the Israelites, what it meant was going from the wandering desert through the Jordan River into the promised land. So it is the end of wandering, but that's not all it is. It's not like you just, oh, we're done wandering and now we go through the river and we'll just camp out right on the other side. In fact, it's, if you do that, you're missing out on the promised land, this place that God has for you to set up your life and to spend the rest of your life worshiping him. If the Israelites would have just stayed there, they would have missed out. And so baptism is the beginning of a new life. So when you look at Jesus and the story you just read, getting baptized, if you grew up in the church, you might wonder why. You know, we, we get baptized because the pastor says get baptized, because people get baptized, because people go get baptized, the kids get, we, we, it's just something we believe, something we say, why? Why do they baptize? What's going on when Jesus is getting baptized? Well, like I mentioned, when the people of Israel came through the Jordan, there's this picture of kind of the old life and the new life. There's this picture of wandering out of the desert and going into the promised land. And so symbolically, people during the time of Christ, they were kind of wanting their lives to be changed. Specifically, they were over, you know, overruled, overpowered by a Roman government, and they felt like in a spiritual sense that they didn't have their king. So they wanted freedom, they wanted a new king, they wanted new life. And a lot of the people kind of succumbed to what it looked like to live under Roman rule, but a lot of those people wanted to have a different king, wanted Jesus to be, wanted a, a Jesus to show up a Messiah, wanted a king. And so what would happen in the society is rabbis would raise up and they would have followers. And certain rabbis would say certain things that would kind of compel and draw in certain people of Israel to be their followers. And so what's happening when Jesus gets baptized by a guy named John the Baptist is something really cool. He's a rabbi, John is, and so is Jesus. Now if you know the story of the birth of Jesus, we know that Jesus and John, John is Jesus' cousin, and if you don't know this, I'll, I'll tell you, it's fine, you don't have to know this. It's just, you, you're kind of, we're, we, we learn this in the story because, you know, the baby leaps, you know, John leaps in, in, in uh, her, his mother's womb when, when they find out that Jesus is pregnant. And, and so they're contemporary. So they're like almost the exact same age, right? And, and so you have John and Jesus, and in that time, 2,000 years ago, the way you would become a rabbi is you grow up, you go to normal synagogue, and you'd learn the scriptures, and you'd go to church with your family, and synagogues were like outposts all over the region of Israel. So you didn't always go to the temple, but you go to the synagogue where the rabbis would teach and teach the scriptures, and you'd grow up. And then at some point, there'd be like a testing phase. To oversimplify it, it's like they, you, you get to certain tests, and if you tested high enough, the, high enough, then you'd split off from the rest of the kids that didn't test high enough, literally, and the tests weren't just like writing down. It was understanding the scriptures, understanding the wisdom of God, being able to tell the stories of God, having a teaching kind of command, understanding what God is up to in the world, caring about the nation and the story of your, your people. And when they found someone that had some ability to do that, those guys would move and continue down the path to becoming rabbis while everyone else would go off into normal jobs like fishing and agrarian society or being like a stonemason or, or a carpenter or whatever it was, all kinds of different types of jobs. But the highest level of work during the time of Christ was to be a rabbi. So the, the brightest and the best among them would train to become rabbis. And we know from the life of Jesus as it's given in Luke chapter uh, one, two, or three where Jesus is, like leaves his mom 
and dad, and they for, he's gone for three days, and then they go back and they find him in, in the temple, and, the, and he's like, don't you know I'd be in my father's house? And as he's teaching in there, all of the teachers are like blown away by Jesus. So Jesus was a child prodigy, obviously. He's, he's human, but he's God. There's something going on where he understood the scriptures and had command, so he caught the attention of the rabbis. Well, so did John. So did John. So they both, growing up, you can imagine they're potentially kind of an argument from silence, but maybe they're in the same class. You know, and they're just like doing like projects together. Like they're studying Daniel together. I don't know. And they're like looking at the lines. I don't know what they're studying. They're looking at the scriptures. And what happens is, is some way, shape, or form, John, during the time where they're like becoming rabbis, John, he sees something remarkable in Jesus. As he is relating to the scriptures and studying passages, famous passages like Isaiah chapter 40 that talk about a, a king, a Messiah who's gonna come and eventually deliver the people. John notices Jesus is not just good at the scriptures, that he's the author of them. Wild, it's wild when you think about it. So what ends up happening is John, for some reason, he has started his ministry. He has already started to teach the scriptures. He's out on the countryside. People that are wanting to follow the, the, the life that God has for them, John is calling them, and he's calling them to a life of repentance. Now, we grew up in the church. Raise your hand if you ever heard the word repentance. All right? For us, a lot of times, we thought repentance just meant, like, asking for forgiveness of your sin or turning away from one sin to go to another way. What, J what John is doing is something very different. It doesn't exclude that idea, but it's very specifically a higher calling to following a different king and to believing in the Messiah. So he's like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he knows that Jesus is the bring in the kingdom. And the people of Israel are looking for a king, some of them. So he starts telling everybody, repent, turn away from any other kings, turn away from any other gods in your life, and start to follow this king that is the Messiah. So then Jesus, while John is baptizing people, they're like, I wanna repent, I wanna follow the Messiah. The Messiah, where is he? He's here, I wanna know, I wanna be, I wanna be like in the kingdom of God. I don't want them, I don't want Rome, I don't want anything else. I want whoever God is bringing to the people. When Jesus shows up, John is like, there's the guy. There he is. There's the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 40. That is the guy who is going to be not only our for, forgive, forgiver, our deliverer, but he is our king. And so what happens is Jesus has not started his ministry yet. He's a rabbi too. And he goes to John to get baptized. And of course, think about this. John and Jesus went to school together. John is like, dude, you're, you shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. You're the Messiah. You're the one that I'm telling them all about. And Jesus goes, no, I wanna be baptized. Why? Because baptism is a beginning. And Jesus is human. So what is it the beginning for Jesus? It's the beginning of his declaration, ministry, miracles, and his bringing the kingdom of God to earth. It's the beginning. So he says, John, baptize me. So John has already had these conversations. He's like, I don't even deserve to like tie your shoes. It's like some people are like, dude, you guys went to school together. How can he be that much different? It's like, dude, that's Jordan. I'm Pippin. There's no, there's no mistake. You know, like I'm great with him. I'm nothing without him. Pippin. 
That's what it is. And he gets that. So then he's like, okay, you baptize me. Baptizes Jesus. There's this amazing picture of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, blessing Jesus as he comes out of the water. And then he goes and he starts to do his ministry. It's the beginning of him manifesting his divine presence and his message to the world. So what does Jesus go and do? He goes and gets tempted, he goes, turns water into wine, he does all these amazing, amazing miracles, he brings people back to life, Lazarus comes back to life, and then he eventually gets arrested for calling himself God because leadership is scared, there's more to it, but basically they do, he gets tried, convicted, crucified, and everyone thinks, well, that was a failure. And then three days later, Jesus raises from the dead. He shows himself to four or 500 people. All those people are like, that is actually Jesus, the Jesus that was a rabbi, the Jesus that taught, the Jesus that walked on water. And so the movement begins that this is the actual king. This is the actual king of, of all. So let's go tell all the world, Caesar's not the king, Jesus is the king. Now we got a king, you should give your life to him. Jesus' baptism was the beginning of an entire new way of him expressing and being and living and bringing life into the world. And for you and me, it's the same thing. It is not just a moment where we get born again. Everyone needs to get born again. You place your faith in Christ, you're born again, you're saved. That means if you were to die any moment, you're in your Father's hands. That means that you're good to go whatever, wherever you go. But God's purpose of baptism is that when you get baptized, that your worship changes. Your worship changes. You see, one, one thing that we talk about, we gotta talk about more, we're all worshipers. God made us to be worshipers. We worship. We ooh, we ah, we spend, we give energy, we give life to certain things. The things that we believe are the most important in life are the things that we worship. So, you know, like, my kids right now, they still do this Pokemon Go thing. They worship it. They worship it. Dad, will you take us, do, just drive over to the water tower. We wanna go, we worship it. My daughter, she loves Baby Alive. I think it's a weird name for a baby thing, whatever. Baby Alive. Dad, will you come upstairs with me and play? She's like ooing and aahing, and that thing is driving her life. Now, as we all get older, we have to make the decision about who and what we're going to worship. Baptism is the moment that you move away from considering all the different things to worship and you make the decision to worship Christ. So you receive the work that he did on the cross because nothing can save you, the resurrection from the dead. The only reason you could ever resurrect from the dead is not because of something you can do but because of something Jesus did so you find the miracle, the majesty, the eternity, the infinity in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and then that's not all it is. That's the beginning of you now binding yourself to Christ, and then your life is a mirror image of the life of Christ. Do you, you ever think about it this way? Jesus got 
baptized. It was the beginning. He went through life. His life was very different than everyone else's, so much that he was tried, convicted, and crucified. And then what happened? He rose from the dead. People who follow Jesus are bound for the same thing. You will make a decision after wandering to put your faith in Jesus. You get baptized because you're moving away from the desert and into the promised land. You're gonna go through life following Jesus. You're not Jesus, but you have the presence of Jesus to help you. You will physically die one day, but because you have the power of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus has the power of Jesus Christ and the power of God, you have it now too. So you will, in the name of Jesus, overcome death with resurrection. So we're talking about the beginning of your future. The, right now, baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision, but bap baptism is an outward sign of outward change. Jesus Christ, his salvation was not just so that when your body dies, you go to the good place. His salvation was so that you could bring the good place to earth now, live it now, not under compulsion, not under guilt, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that every step you take is supported by the cross of grace. Everywhere you go, you have forgiveness and you start to be transformed. The Bible says that you and me are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. We got somewhere trapped along the way because we had some loose understanding of Galatians and the book of James. We all thought, well, you can't work to earn your salvation, so you might as well not work for anything. No, 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 no. You die to self, you grow up, you get baptized, and you start to walk into the life and bring life into it. You worship different gods. So, worship, not just raising your hands, not just singing a song. Worship is about who you dedicate your life to. So, in order to do that, you have to identify other gods in your life. During the time of Christ, it was like, that's Caesar, he's not the king, Jesus is the king. What do you do when something becomes a king in your life? What do you do when something has power in your life? You give your life to it. So what happens for all of us is we have this kind of weird, muddly, emotional thing where we think if we come to church and we praise Jesus, that that means we're worshiping Jesus. It's, it's not necessarily true. Worshiping Jesus means that you stop worshiping all the other gods around. So you have to identify the gods. You can put them in three major categories. Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. Some combination of those. So what's gonna happen in your life is money is gonna wanna drive your life. And you will believe that if you give your life to money, that money will give you life. But what it does is as you give your life to money, it sucks your life away. Because it's a good thing, terrible God. Money's a good thing, it's a terrible God. Sex is a good thing, it's a terrible God. Power is a good thing, it's a terrible God. What did Jesus do with power? Served people. What did Jesus do with power? Washed his disciples' feet. What did Jesus do with power? Let himself get arrested so he could be put on a cross. What did Jesus do with power? What we all have to do is look at the Genesis narrative and go, well, this thing wants to control my life. Money, sex, power, or a combination of the two. 
I had a great friend of mine one time said people get divorced for two reasons, money, sex, or a combination of the two. When those become your gods, your life starts to deteriorate. When you get baptized, what you're saying is, I'm not serving money. So how do you make sure you don't serve money? You trust God. You say, God, I don't want this to be my God. Because if you let money be your God, it's store up as much as you can, get as much stuff for yourself, make yourself feel comfortable, get what you want, make sure you're safe, make sure you feel good about you and what you have. So it's become your God then. Okay, God, I know this money has power. We had this conversation uh, uh, over uh, drinks the other day, and we were, we were asked, like, what would you do if you won a billion dollars? And, you know, people started answering. And then the conversation started to move in this direction of, like, I'm pretty sure I never want to win a win billion dollars. It's too powerful. It would become my God. There's no way, suddenly, you, you, you think, oh, I'll be fine, I'd give tithes to the church, pay off the building, whatever, we'll, we'll be fine, I'd get one or two houses, maybe four, I don't know, but not that many, I'd give tons of it away, whatever, you just start to become your own God. Making my life about me, and when you have all that comfort and all that, no matter what can happen, I just pay for it. You're serving God, a God of money. That's God. That's become your God. So in the church, what God says is take your money and understand I gave it to you. It's a good thing, it's a terrible God. Tithe, share, give, give parts away, hold it with open hands. Trust me as opposed to trust it. It's not just tithe to the church. Like you can give and be a part of all kinds of things to make sure like I don't want this having control over me. Money's not gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna tell money what to do because God told me what to do with money. This isn't a money talk, it's just, it's such a powerful God. Same thing with sex, supposed to be in the context of marriage. You start to do your own way, your own thing. Good thing, terrible God. You start to exploit and move and go and sleep with people that you're not married to, and then what happens? Heartache, pain, destruction. Man, we had that moment together. How come we ain't having more moments? Because, baby, that was just a moment for me. I'm sorry you were expecting it to be more. Oh, boy, we got some drama now. That is, it, do, it just doesn't work. God says, look, I gave you away. This is a good thing, a terrible God. The fruit in the garden. Fruit's good. You're supposed to eat. There's tons of fruit all over the garden. Eat all the time. Eat what you want. Don't eat that. If you eat that, you gain wisdom that you become like God. So they ate it because they wanted to become like God. What are you doing in your life every day where you're not aware of this? So, so what, what happens is Christians who get baptized are knowing, okay, my soul and I'm forgiven and my sins are wiped away and even as I mess up along the way, God forgives me, but every single day I'm going to pursue making Jesus Christ my God. That happens every day, that happens every minute. We don't just read the scriptures to mark a, check a box. We don't just go to church to check a box. We, we, we don't. We have an overwhelming sense of reality of the pulling on our soul in multiple directions. 
So we're aware of it and we go, man, I could fall into this trap. I could worship this God. I could worship that God. I could, I wanna make sure that I worship God. So I'm gonna read about the scriptures, the God that has an everlasting love, the God that brought his people out of slavery, the God that sent his son, died on a cross and rose from the dead. I wanna make him my God, so I'm gonna worship him. I'm gonna talk to him and then I'm gonna make decisions every single day that line up with that. Baptism is the beginning. It's the beginning of a different life. It's the beginning of a different way. You heard people say, growing up in church maybe, or you've never heard Jesus one time as ta- when he's talking, he says, if you wanna follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And what, what that gets turned into so much is just deny anything about yourself. There's whole like movements in the first uh, couple centuries around denying self, called asceticism, where certain groups of people would take that to the extreme and they'd hurt themselves, they'd move themselves away from modern, like regular society, they'd live in caves, they'd starve themselves, they'd hurt their bodies and chastise their bodies to kind of engage and be like, I'm supposed to be with Christ in this, so I'm gonna experience some of the pain he experienced on the cross physically in my body, and I'm supposed to deny myself, so I'm not gonna give myself anything that I need. That's a distortion of what Jesus is talking about. When we're denying self, we're not saying self doesn't matter. We're saying don't let self worship wrong gods. Actually, in order for you to be a healthy individual, you have to be attuned to yourself. You have to know what self is going after. You can't, when you have strong emotion, you can't, oh, I gotta deny that emotion. No, bring it in, hear what it has to say, make a Smart choice about what you're gonna do. Feelings are fine. Let them, let them talk. Let them speak to you. Let your emotions be uh, brought out. Let your anger, let it all be talked about. And then, as a smart person who got baptized, you make the decision, I'm not following my emotions wherever they lead me. I'm following what Jesus tells me to do. Sometimes your emotions will lead you to the right thing to do. Sometimes it'll lead you to the wrong thing to do. You have made a decision, I'm following Christ. So I'm loving people, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna take care of myself by evaluating all the gods, their messages in my life, and then make decisions to make sure that the decisions that I make are to worship Christ every day. So we we come to this place of baptism. We come to the place of baptism. And so right now, I'm gonna ask the band come out because these people are getting baptized. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. Baptism is an outward sign of future outward change. These people are now deciding to follow Jesus. Are you guys coming out? No, they're coming. I mean, here we go. It's important that as you watch these people get baptized, that you're hope-filled for them and their their life, the life that they're choosing today. It's important that as the church, we watch them get baptized and we think, man, this is amazing. Like this person is choosing to follow Christ all every moment. It's important that we look at it and we don't just think, okay, no matter what happens, they're good and they go to the good place. I really don't believe that salvation Baptism is all about going to the good place when you die. I believe it's about bringing the good place here. And I believe that every person 
who places their faith in Jesus is bound to Jesus in life, in death, and in resurrection. We believe at this church in the resurrection of Jesus. Say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and of my body. We believe that because we place our faith in Christ, that even though we die, we will live again. So when I bring people up here, we're gonna sing a song, and then we're gonna do another song, and that's where we're gonna do the baptisms. And you're gonna see me, they're gonna step into the tank, they're gonna move forward, and I'm gonna tell them like, move your feet up, put your butt down, all that stuff. And then what I'm gonna say in their ear is this, I'm gonna say, Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And then I'll look at him and go, do you believe this? And you'll watch him go, huh? And then I'm gonna put my hand over their hands and I'm gonna say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're gonna get baptized. Because what we believe at 514 Church is that when somebody places their faith in Christ, they are bound to Christ, they are now beginning a life of fellowship of Christ, and though they are outwardly wasting away, inwardly they are being renewed every single moment, and then one day their body will die. In that passage I just quoted, that's, that's the story of Lazarus. Jesus tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. The, 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 the women, they're going, oh no, he, he's, he's dead, why didn't you come? And he's like, oh, he'll resurrect. And she's like, oh, he, he's gonna resurrect on the last day. And Jesus goes, oh no, you don't understand the resurrection. The resurrection's not a place. The resurrection's not a time. The resurrection is a person, me. So he says, don't you understand? I, I'm, you're hoping in a future? No, no, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And he looks at Mary and he says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life, he who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? So every person will physically die and then physically rise in the name of Jesus. And all of that time in between is a time to worship the God who saved us and loved us. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So let's take a minute, let's pray for these amazing people and their decision to follow Christ and our responsibility and our opportunity to support them in their fellowship. Let's pray for them. Father, we thank you so much for the clarity around your life here and the gift that we have in fellowship. Father, you came, you lived, you died, you rose. We follow you, we live, we die, we rise together with you in your kingdom. You are king. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. We pray for these precious souls who have decided to follow you. We pray that they would experience the teacher, the master, the comforter, um, the guiding light that is the Holy Spirit as they follow you through this life. I pray that they would know 
that though they may be tempted, though they may fail or falter, that your grace is sufficient, that you've forgiven them, that nothing can separate them from the love of Jesus Christ, that you love them now, that you love them then, that they can turn again and again every single day to follow you. I pray that they would make that commitment today. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing these songs together.
of the things, one of the things that can bring you to church is what Jesus has already done. Who can clap if Jesus has done something for them in their life, right? That's one of the, that's the thing, right? Something that Jesus did. I mean, we're talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago that matters now. That's something that he did. Here's the part that the Christian hope is so real. When you talk about hope, you talk about something that moves you, something that you grab onto, something that keeps you moving in the right direction, even if you can't quite understand it. Hope, something that galvanizes your soul. The truth of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and his ascension is that the next part for him is his second coming. Like Jesus will return and he will be the king. And the scriptures teach that when that happens, that the dead in Christ will rise. They will rise. There's a graveyard by my house that has got a gravesite for a girl named Annie who died about seven or eight years ago. And I did her funeral, she was 20. She died. And people put flowers, and the gravesite is kept nice. But one day, that won't be a gravesite anymore, it's just gonna be a garden. Because in the name of Christ, everybody is gonna rise up and those graves are gonna be turned into gardens. And then those people are gonna walk by and be like, that's where I was dead. <laughs> but I'm alive. <laughs> but I'm alive. The person who just got baptized was Avery, the last girl there. Avery. <laughs> Avery's been on a journey. Her boyfriend, Nathan Vokak, died this year. His dad's right there. Young, tragic. The only hope we have is a resurrection. That's all we got. And Avery was, I guess, a little resistant, and I don't know all the the ins and outs, but they told me she wasn't gonna get baptized, but she decided to get baptized after last service because she's been resisting and angry, and now she's turning her heart to Jesus. that that's awesome and the hope that she has is the hope that we all have that there's a second coming all the graves are going to be turned into gardens God's going to retell the story he's going to recapitulate the whole thing he's going to renew he's going to redeem he's going to restore this earth your bodies for a new kingdom and a new life that's the hope of the resurrection that's why we celebrate baptism until that day We follow Christ as the church, the gathering in the name of Jesus, baptized, blessed, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise that one day Jesus will return, the dead in Christ will rise, and we will live together eternally in a new heaven and earth that's totally different. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day. Until then, we'll see you next week.